It's the first full week of fall camp for the UNC football team. There's a lot of questions to be answered. Who replaces Sam Howell? How will the offensive line perform? What about the defense under the return of Gene Chizik? Well, thankfully, former UNC offensive lineman Brian Chakos is here to help us sort through it all. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Monday, August 1st, 2022. It is my 13th wedding anniversary. Margaret Ann, I love you so dearly, Tex. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily UNC show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank you for making Locked on Tar Heels your first listen or your first watch every single day. Please don't forget that the show is free and available anywhere you get podcasts, so go ahead, you can subscribe right now. For those of you watching, please also smash the like button. We've got this interview coming up today with Brian Chekos. We're going to talk about this upcoming Carolina football season, his time playing at Carolina, and what he does now working for the Rams Club. Check it out. What a joy to be joined today by Brian Chakos here on the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, former football player at Carolina, and now still hanging around Chapel Hill working for the Rams Club. So we got all sorts of great stuff to talk about today, but we're going to start by talking about this year's football team and what perfect timing because practice just started last Friday. It's Monday. We're getting into the fourth practice today. And so, you know, Brian, just right out of the gate, I think the biggest question on everyone's minds is how on earth does Mac Brown go about replacing Sam Howell? Yeah, Isaac, first of all, great to be on with you. And, you know, obviously you can't replace Sam Howell. Uh, you can fill that void uh, as, as much as you want, but it's going to take uh, a couple guys to step up and uh, really support the two young guys. So first of all, it always starts up front. Uh, as a former offensive lineman, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be the five guys <laughs> who start up front. I'm biased, uh, but it really does. It's going to take the five guys up front uh, to really uh, make holes for running lanes. It's going to take the five guys really anchoring together and make a clean pocket protection allowing either Drake or Jacoby or Connor Harrell or whoever it is back there uh, to make smart decisions and get rid of the ball uh, or run with the ball, whatever the case may be. Uh, but it's not one guy. It's not one guy. It's a team. It's 11 guys uh, doing their job, doing what they're responsible uh, for, and uh, just making sure that we're successful, slowly and methodically moving the ball down the field. And so, yeah, Brian, you you well know this as, as you reference somebody who is an offensive lineman. Even though the majority of people who have never played the game think it really is just like about how well the quarterback plays or doesn't play, yeah. it really is about that entire unit. And so if if one person misses an assignment or uh, misses the, the snap call or whatever it may right. be, how, how does that really cause a play to fall apart? Yeah, again, I mean, just like you said, I mean, one guy, especially on the offense side of the ball, one guy's mistake, uh, one missed block, I mean, it ends the play right there. Uh, that's why on the offense side of the ball, they do put the smarter guys on the field to be able to execute. <laughs> they, again, I'm biased, right? They do, you got to be able to execute. You got to be able to be focused, laser focused every single play. You got to be able to work in unison with your line mates. And again, we're talking about the guys up front. But I mean, sure. the, again, the quarterback's got to look and see what's going on in the back end of the defense. The receivers got to look and see who's coming up off hot off the edge, right? If they got to adjust the routes, yeah. running backs, if they got to change from, 
you know, if they're going to leak out of the backfield, maybe they got to stay in now and, and chip or help and pick somebody, a linebacker off. So again, it's not like playing defense where you can pin your hat back and just and ears back and just go after somebody. You, you really got to be paying attention. And again, on the offense side of the ball, one mental mistake, one little breakdown can cause a turnover, a loss of yardage, uh, a significant blow up, uh, an injury. Um, so that's why it's so imperative that you got to be dialed in every single play. And, you know, it's about 75, 80 snaps per game for the offense. And so you got to be dialed in every single play. Damn. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, you firsthand know the importance of protecting a quarterback's blind side, yep. having done so yep. for the likes of Darian Durant. Um, yep. How all the more important is that with one of these three young guys, whoever wins the job, who might not have the awareness of a Sam Howell or somebody quite yet in their development? You are so, uh, uh, Isaac, that's a great question. I can tell you, playing left tackle, and I was so blessed to play for a guy with Darian. Darian was such a gamer. He was His skill set was incredible. Uh, his leadership was a quiet kind of leadership. Um, you know, he wasn't a big rah-rah, smashing helmets in the locker room kind of guy. He just went out, did his work, and and really was a great player. But so was my best friend, Matt Baker, who also was our quarterback in 2005. He was a great leader, and Matt was a little bit more outspoken. Uh, but then also Joe Daly. I mean, Joe is a great guy, too. Um, so, you know, but when you're playing left tackle, right, you're protecting the guy's blind side, and he's really put his trust in you uh, to not have any of those mental breakdowns, making sure you're getting off on the snap faster than the defensive side of the ball. And so you have that extra pressure on yourself where this guy is really relying and putting his health in your hands. And so that's really, I mean, when, a, when another human being is putting his health and wellness in your hands, I mean, that's an extra kind of burden. Um, whereas let's just say a center or a, a right guard, right? Those two positions and also a right tackle, more than likely the quarterback can see one of those defense linemen coming, can make an adjustment, spin out of it, um, you know, run around the guy. Well, behind them, they don't have eyes in the back of their head. And unless they can do a really good job of feeling somebody coming behind them and feeling that pressure, it's it's more than likely we've seen all the big hits on TV, whether it's, you know, Sunday NFL football or, you know, the, the late night shows on college football, um, it can put people down pretty hard. And so again, it's that extra pressure of knowing that you have to do your assignment, execute it to the best of your ability, and you can't have a bad day. When you're playing left tackle, there there are no bad days, there are no mistakes, there are no false starts, there are no penalties, and you got to play a clean game and a perfect game. Yeah. So Who our man, so the, the, the short no, and keep adding to that. So that just means our man Asim Richards is has got to step up, and I, and I really do think Asim will step up. Uh, he is now going to be a three year starter, if I believe. And it's time. It's time for him to be an all-conference kind of player. He's got the body. He's got the skill set. I love Jack McNell. I think Jack McNell is one of the best off-season hires. I love his. I love his toughness. I love his grit. I love that he's a fellow Northeastern guy. And I think he's just going to establish that kind of toughness that maybe we haven't had the last two to three years on the offensive line. And I think he's going to put that. He's going to administer. Um, and infuse that toughness um, and, and simplify some things and technique in our offensive line um, and just let the guys go to work and have fun. Man, and that's encouraging because I know so many people listening and watching are thinking, man, I, I thought we were going to have this uh, tremendous offensive line last year. I, you know, all sure. these things. And there were injuries and everything else. But mm -hmm. I think I think the big 
question is, these first two years of Coach Brown's second tenure, we had this upward trajectory, and then last year, you know, things just didn't pan out the way that hopes uh, were. And so then, therefore, there are quite a few question marks heading into this fall. Is that a thing where the coaching staff already from, from spring workouts and what's gone on so far this fall already has some answers to that? Or do you think they're going to learn those answers as fall camp goes on? Oh, boy, you learn a lot of stuff in the fall camp. I mean, you really do. I mean, spring ball, yes, yeah, spring ball is so important for, you know, your incoming enrollees in January, your freshmen, sophomores, but, you know, your juniors your juniors and seniors, you know what you have. Yeah. Um, that spring ball is so vital for the young kids. Um, so can you answer some questions in spring practice? Maybe. Uh, I think it's really just for the brand-new faces. Again, just like I was saying with Coach McNell, uh, maybe the Zach Rice's of the world. I love Zach Rice. I think Zach Rice is going to be a great player. He's got a he's got a great body type for the offensive line. He's nasty. He loves to hit after the whistle, which is something <laughs> I love. My mother didn't like it so much, but I liked it. Um, you know, one of the kids I love that I'm going to love for you to follow and love for your listeners to follow also is Noah Taylor, the transfer from mm, UVA. Yes. He is so fast and explosive <clears throat> off the line of scrimmage. Um, I love watching him. I think he can be a double-digit sack guy for us uh, this wow. year, so I'm really excited about him. Um, I'm, I'll, I'll save some of my other teasers of who I'm excited about for you later in the show, but okay. uh, you know, those are just two brand-new faces that we saw this spring. So spring is for new faces and new guys and new coaches, right? Fall camp is for the entire team's growth and to really settle who's going to play, right? Spring ball can be cutesy stuff and – you know, find out some stuff and, you know, maybe shake, shake the tree a little bit. Fall camp is going to say, okay, who are the men, who are the men and who's going to play? And then who are the guys who can maybe help us a little bit? And then who are the guys who need to wait until 23 to play? Speaking of fall camp, do you expect that coach Brown b- between Drake and Jacoby and Connor, do you expect him to name a starter at either sometime during camp or coming out of camp? Do you think he'll cut it down to one guy, maybe go with a two-headed quarterback? What are your expectations, Brian? Well, you know, the, one of the best things I love about coach Brown is that you don't know what coach Brown's going to do. So <laughs> it's, right. it's, always, <laughs> it's, it's, it's always the great thing about coach Brown. And that's why I love coach Brown so much is, you know, when you got a hall of famer and you got a national championship winning head coach, uh, who's been around the game for so long, uh, I think he's going to keep all of us guessing, um, which is going to be really exciting. And, you know, that's, that's a great reason. That's a great reason. And, and, and I'm so, I feel so lucky that I don't have to make any of those decisions. So, um, you know, here's, here's a great thing I can tell you, Isaac, is that they have done, this staff has done an exceptional job recruiting the quarterback position, Mm. right? I mean, you got Drake, you got Jacoby, you got Connor Harrell, you got Jefferson Boaz, they got some kids waiting in the wings. We can't talk about because they're not on campus, but <laughs> it, seriously. And it's just, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, there's some programs who would die just to have one kid that's and right. we have, we have a handful of kids. So um, that, that's something that I can, I can tell you, I'm really, I'm really as a former letterman. Now I'm not speaking as a, as a Rams club sure. boy. I, I'm, I'm telling you as a former player of the, of the program, <laughs> of my, of my ball that, as a former player, I'm so proud of Coach Brown and the staff and all they've done to uh, get this program. Uh, you know, two years ago, we're, we're fighting our butts off against a great Texas A&M team in the Orange Bowl. If we had all our guys, the outcome right. could have been different. Um, yep. 
you know, last year, obviously we didn't have the year we, none of us wanted, um, you know, and then this year, I think we had some, some young guys who are, who played a lot of minutes for us and they realized, you know, college football is not high school and, you know, you got to show up every Saturday and you got to play. And, you know, the other guys across from you, th- those guys also were all Americans and all state and all conference and they're on scholarship too. And so um, it's going to be really, really exciting to see how we progress throughout this year. I love what Coach Brown has done, scheduling um, the FAMU game with week zero. Um, He's honoring the HBCUs, too, in that week zero game. Uh, That just shows the kind of first class that Coach Brown has and the staff has, and Bubba Cunningham and Chancellor Guskowitz, all first class kind of men. Um, And again, and it also does a great thing for our guys to be able to get ready to go to a very tough environment up in Boone that all Carolina fans better get ready for that are going to. Uh, I know myself and my wife and some friends were going up there for the game and I can't wait. Um, and it's going to be a great, great environment. So, man. And, and so you've started getting into that a little bit. And so my last question for you about this year's team is given that first two years trajectory, given the, how things unfolded last year, what do you think are reasonable expectations for the 22 Tar Heels? Well, you know, again, I'm going to channel my coach Brown, but I also just will channel kind of how I look at life. Um, if, if you're a Carolina football fan and you're a Carolina fan in general, why should we expect not to win every single game? And the reason being is I don't see any team on our schedule that um, is significantly better than we are. Um, I don't see a Georgia. I don't see an Alabama. Um, and so therefore we shouldn't in this program in the state that we have this program in, we should never go into a schedule. We should never go into a game thinking, well, you know, I don't think the outcome is not going to be good this weekend. So let's just look forward to the next weekend. And I, and I totally understand your, I understand your question, but the way that myself and my teammates would look at our, um, the schedule, we would get it back in, in the early 2000s would be we're going to win every game, right? Hmm. Because if you start going down the roster and if you start looking down the schedule and say, well, I think we can get this one or eh, maybe we can get this one, you start having those negative thoughts in your head, right? So it's just like anything in life, right? We're going to take this week by week and we're going to win every single game. And so yeah. I think I think what Coach Brown has done is he said, well, hell, when the, when the schedule comes out, we're going to win every single game because <laughs> we have a positive mindset with this program. We have great kids. That's the kind of mindset we're going to recruit. And so we're not going to talk about, you know, maybes, would have, should have. We're going to go out. We're going to beat our butts off every single weekend. Boy, I love that so much. What an uh, encouraging and positive way to look at things and just going that week to week, just like the players, all of you listening, checking in, let's take that same approach and just track right along with Coach Brown and this team and everything they're doing. Thanks so much for that uh, wisdom and, and thoughtfulness from inside the mind of a player, Brian. Speaking of which, you just talked about taking it back to the early 2000s, and that's what we're going to do in just a minute as we talk to Brian about his time playing as a Tar Heel. As you gear up for fall, you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. 
Create a job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to help you reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and ultimately hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus the leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Again, that's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, we are here today on Locked on Tar Heels, joined by Brian Chakos, North Carolina football player and now working for the Rams Club. And what we want to do is just go back and talk about Brian's time playing at Carolina. And so, Brian, you mentioned earlier coming out of the Northeast. And so take us back mm -hmm. to high school. We've talked about you as an offensive lineman. You were a tight end, my friend. So let's let's <laughs> unpack all of that. I was. Well, that would be unpacking about 60 pounds ago. Uh, that'd be a lot, Isaac, that would be a lot of unpacking. That was a lot of um, meals at Sutton's uh, with my man Don Penny and IP3s and Angelo and those guys there uh, who, who helped me get to be an offensive lineman. So, uh, <laughs> no, I, I can tell you, uh, it, you know, playing football at the University of North Carolina is one of the greatest things that's happened to me in my life. Uh, it's, it's allowed me to, A, get a great education, B, make uh, incredible friendships that have lasted me a lifetime. Uh, and most important, uh, it's allowed me to, uh, on a blind date my sophomore year, meet my wife, um, who uh, we have an in incredible marriage, which I feel very blessed about. Uh, we have two unbelievable kids, uh, which are obviously the product of her, not so much me. <laughs> and, uh, and so all of that is due from uh, being able to come on scholarship to play at the University of North Carolina. Um, I can tell you, uh, coming out uh, of a small town in, in Connecticut, um, I was a product. My dad, Andy, played for Coach Dooley from 71 to 75. Um, so I've been coming to Letterman's weekend since the second grade. I joke with uh, Natron Means uh, that his Chargers jersey, his number 20 navy blue uh, San Diego Chargers lightning bolt jersey was the first NFL jerseys I ever had as a child, which he wasn't so happy when I told him that because it aged him quite a bit. Um, so he didn't appreciate he didn't appreciate that so much. He did appreciate that I bought his jersey, which he did like. I think he got some of the royalties from the jersey, obviously. Uh, and then uh, you know Dre Bly, who I've uh, obviously the most utmost respect. He's he's a legendary on the Mount Rushmore Carolina football. Uh, I remember sitting with my dad after the Clemson game um, in the Moorhead Planetarium parking lot after Dre had three picks and uh, listening to Woody Durham, uh, who I loved Woody to death. Uh, rest in peace, Woody. Um, yeah. Listening to Woody interview Dre um, about mm. that game. And uh, those are just kind of just two quick kind of, you know, memories and things and, wow. and how I got to Carolina and stuff like that. But you know, as a kid coming out of, out of Connecticut, you know, my five schools that, that it came down to was uh, obviously University of North Carolina, University of Arizona, uh, Notre Dame, Tennessee, and Wisconsin. 
so those were kind of my five schools kind of all scattered over the United States. My mom really wanted me to go to the University of Arizona. Uh, she loves vacationing in Scottsdale and uh, loved the coach there at the time who was Dick Tomei. And, um, you know, they had a great recruiter on staff who did a great job recruiting me. And, you know, he called house and spend five minutes talking to me and then 35 minutes talking to my mom. And so they really is. kind of know how to work the household back there. Um, and so, uh, you know, sorry, mom, you didn't get your wish. I went to UNC instead of Arizona, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's been a, it's been an unbelievable ride. And then now obviously being back here, uh, and working in a different capacity and, and obviously raising money now for, uh, for football and our, our 27 other sports, uh, has really just been a blessing. It's been awesome. Uh, living in Chapel Hill, uh, being a husband, raising kids here, uh, it, I could never have imagined it would work out this way. Boy, man, what what a neat story and what a uh, litany of schools you had to choose from. What what ultimately helped you finalize that decision to return to your dad's? Yeah, it's a great question. I, and I think it, I think you just answered it right there. When I looked at, um, you know, I'm, I'm a Northeast Catholic kid. Uh, so, you know, having the opportunity to go play at Notre Dame uh, was something that was really uh, something of passion to me. Uh, but staying in the cold, um, South Bend is very dreary. Um, I do like to have a good time. So their social scene wasn't necessarily something that was up my alley. Uh, so I, that wasn't, that wasn't necessarily going to work out for me. Um, Barry Alvarez, you know, the, the hall of famer, Barry Alvarez for Wisconsin came to my high school and offered me a scholarship. And uh, having to turn down Barry Alvarez uh, when he's sitting across from you was was a very awkward kind of moment for me. But um, you know, would it have been great to play at to play at Wisconsin in front of that crowd every Saturday? Absolutely. But again, kind of cold weather, freezing in Madison, Wisconsin. I just didn't know if I was going to be willing to do that for four or five years. So again, that was kind of more of a, a geographic decision more than anything. Um, Tennessee at the time, and you'll love this, uh, Tennessee at the time was only graduating about 28% of their football players. So my mom took the scholarship letter. I'll never forget it. I was sitting at the kitchen table um, and the scholarship letter came in and um, I remember her reading it. She had gotten information of such the low graduation graduation rate at the time and her tearing up the letter in front of me and saying that Tennessee was not going to be an option. So that obviously went out the window. So that left me with um, with Arizona and UNC. And then when I really got down to thinking of it, you know, how many father sons uh, really get the opportunity to um, be able to play at the same school and kind of have that bond? Um, that'll be forever. Right. And so, you know, I can name a couple of father sons that have played at Carolina. You got the Chapman family, the Pascal family, the Dorn family. Um, I'm sure I'm missing a few. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yep. The Mays family. Yep. And so, you know, that's a very, very special and unique bond. Um, that'll never be broken. So my dad and I, you know, text, I mean, when, when training camp gets started, which it obviously has already, as we're, as we're talking here on Monday, it's it's one of those things like our 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 hearts are beating our blood flow is talking we we trade training camp oh, stories uh we're so glad we're not partaking in training camp anymore because we're too old and brittle to be doing that anymore <laughs> uh, but it's uh you know it's again it's a bond that we'll have forever as a father and son and it and it's because of carolina football if you could pick out just a moment of or two of your actual on-field performance that you're most yeah. proud of what would it be 
Oh, it's so easy to pick out. I'll give you the first. First one is obviously the 04 Miami game, right? You know, people like to talk about that game in nauseam. And I'm sorry, Carolina fans, that still is the greatest Carolina football win. <laughs> it's not even negotiable because it was against the number four Miami team who, you know, still to be debated, they could have been ranked number one in the country at that point in the year. They had just throttled NC State on a Thursday night before they came to Keenan Stadium. You know, Devin Hester, Frank Gore, um, you know, Brock Berlin, Greg Olson. I mean, you just go down the line. Willie Williams. I mean, it was just, I mean, the amount of talent that was on that 04 roster was just sick. And um, it really just kind of talks about um, how sometimes, you know, football is a real easy game, but it's played by complicated people. And so, you know, I think what we really just did for that game in 04 is we simplified the playbook and we really and we really just um, we really just laid it out on the line, right? They were more physical than we were, faster, more talented. I mean, name name anything, they were better than we were. <laughs> it was just it wasn't even close. But it was just on that night, we played harder, we played tougher, we wanted we got in their face, we just were more aggressive, and we wanted more. And I think it's kind of a good life lesson how even though you can feel like the underdog or you can feel like the person who shouldn't be in the room or shouldn't be in the situation that you're in, you can overcome things. And that night uh, is such a great lesson for me. It's a great lesson I've, you know, I've talked to my kids about, I've talked to, you know, young people, interns or young people that come to me for career advice. You know, that that's such a great, it's such a great moment that I can always point back to and say, hey, look, we had no, we had no business being on the field with those guys. We came out, punched them in the face. They had no idea what to do, how to respond. You know, and we still we face adversity late in the game because they made a late push in the game. You know, we kept our composure. We ended up winning the game and beating the number four team in the country right here in Keenan. And it was an awesome, awesome game. Um, I'll tell you, I went against a guy named Baraka Atkins. I couldn't even tell you, Isaac, I, I don't even remember what I had for breakfast, <laughs> but I can tell you everything about Baraka Atkins in 2004. Right. He was right handed. He only really had two moves. He liked to do a club rip on pass rush or he was just a speed bend and he would turn he would turn his shoulder to try and get around you. Those are the only two pass rush moves. OK, he was easy to reach block. But if you try to get an inside reach, he was really hard. He just he was a big, nasty guy. He was about six, five, two eighty five. I think he was from Coral, he was from Coral Gables, Florida, that area. Um, I mean, he was just a nasty, nasty dude. Um, but it was fun to go against him for 60 minutes in Keenan. So, um, again, it was that was so that was the first example. The second okay. example, 2005, we're playing over in Carter Finley. Okay. Mm -hmm. Again, NC State had probably the best defense in the ACC that year. They had Mario Williams, they had Manny Lawson, they had Tank Tyler, they had Stephen Tullock, they had AJ Davis, they had uh, Demario Presley, they had a bunch of just really nasty dudes on defense. And, you know, we went over to Carter Finley. It was one of those things we had to warm up with our helmets on because they're throwing triple A batteries at us when we're warming up and you could hear the little dinks on your helmet because of the battery. <laughs> <clears throat> and it was just one of those things, you know, they were clearly the better team on paper. Um, Chuck Amato and John Bunning got in a shoving match before the game. Uh, the intensity and the rivalry really ran deep. Uh, both schools still hate each other. I hate NC State. I really do. I hate NC State. Um, and it's just one of those things that we just outplayed them. We came, we hit them in the mouth, 
Uh, we ran the football. We made some great plays. Um, and it's just one of those things. I loved going against Mario Williams. I loved playing against Manny Lawson. Uh, maybe had a little unsportsmanlike penalty here and there in the game, but it's going to happen <laughs> when it's so, uh, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things that uh, those are two probably the biggest and, and greatest memories I have when, as a player uh, that that easily stick out in my head, you know, and and would do anything to play in those two kind of games again. Wow, man. Brian, thank you for taking us inside your head and inside your helmet for, uh, for those <laughs> yeah. memories. That's just uh, it's good to relive those alongside somebody who was on the field for it. So thank you so much for that. Absolutely. Now we want to move ahead to looking at what Brian's doing today, the office he's sitting in, working for the Rams Club. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. There's also reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering info. From live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts, they got you covered. So head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about all the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Our attention to talking with Brian about his role. He circumnavigated the globe, found his way back to Chapel Hill, where he works for the Rams Club as the Major Gifts Director. And so, Brian, just um, for those who don't know, just in general, what the Rams Club is, could you uh, explain that? Sure. So the Rams Club is an organization that uh, we we help fund the athletics department. We help support the 20 varsity sports and we do that by supporting the annual fund, operating endowments, facilities, uh, and special projects that all of those sports um, need, have, wants. And uh, we do that by soliciting private donations and supporting our over 18,000 members. Uh, we have had a ton of success. Um, we have been very um, blessed to have such great donors, fans, people who love Carolina athletics, uh, we could not be as successful as we are on the field without our Rams Club members. Um, and it has uh, truly been a blessing to be able to work here at the Rams Club. Hmm. Um, and I will tell you, uh, I can speak, I know I can speak on behalf of our coaches, our former student athletes, our current student athletes, um, to be able to thank our Rams Club members who um, are so generous to us, um, not only with their time, purchasing tickets, purchasing parking coming to our hospitality areas before, after games, um, but also giving financially uh, to make sure that we can compete at a championship level every single year uh, to make them proud to be Tar Heels. Man, that's, that's so fun. Like, like what, people just look at, oh, fundraising. And you right. unpack it and you start to think of the ramifications and <laughs> ramifications and everything it affects. And uh, man, it's just so neat. And so, um, Brian, if I'm not mistaken, you've you've been there working for the Rams Club over a decade now. And uh, yep. what what is it that keeps you there? What is your job? What do you love about it? Well, I love it because it's not even a job. I love it because it's not even work. Um, I love my coworkers. I love the people that I work with for. Uh, I love working with our coaches. I uh, love being able to work closely with the football program. 
Uh, I know you're going to maybe share a little bit later where I work closely with the women's basketball program. Um, and it's and it's really just about relationships more than anything. So, yes, fundraising is what we do, uh, but really it's about relationships. It's about um, building on those relationships. It's um, helping our student athletes be successful. It's uh, making sure those teams can compete at a high level. Um, but really it's uh, making sure that a program that has given me so much, you can afford that to the next person who was in your shoes. And so that's kind of the fun thing where, again, it's not even work for me. I love showing up again. I love people that I work with. And so it's just been a blast. Boy, that's so good. And um, <clears throat> you kind of just referenced this a second ago, but one of the neat things about your family, as, as we've talked about already, is that you are a multi-generational Tar Heel family. And yep. uh, your parents still active and, and going and doing things. And uh, right. from some conversations we've had, they wanted to get involved as well. And so would you share with us some of that story? Yeah. So, you know, my mom and dad have been um, have been very blessed with being successful in my dad's post Carolina life. And so they have been involved with the Rams club for a very long time, uh, have been very generous in giving back to the Rams club, making it a priority to help pave the way for the next young person um, to be able to come and, and live out their dreams, competing in a Carolina uniform. And uh, so that's been awesome. It's been something that I feel uh, very blessed as a family that we've been able to do for somebody else. And uh, my parents have been great. My wife and I, we've been giving to the Rams Club, too, for 20 years. And uh, it's something that's been uh, just really important to our family to, again, be able to pay that back. Uh, but something, and, and I think something that we want to share is um, two and a half years ago, um, you know, we've always been a very football donor-focused family. My parents, my wife and I as well. And uh, th as soon as COVID started, you know, we, we had a family conversation with my parents and stuff like that. And uh, we also want to start looking at some of the other sports, uh, maybe branching and also supporting um, a different sport besides football. Um, so continuing to support football, but also additionally helping another sport. And um, you know, my mom jumps on GoHeels.com and she gets on and reading some of our Born and Bred magazines through the Rams Club and um, starts reading a bunch of articles about Courtney Banghart our women's basketball coach who I dearly love, consider a very good friend and um, have just really, really have fallen in love with her and the program and just all the things they're about and they mean and they, the way they compete. And um, so my parents have become um, very big women's basketball supporters. My wife and I are very big supporters. My two kids are as well um, from anything from floor seat tickets, um, we made 17 at 18 home basketball games for them in Carmichael last year. My dad and I went to a, an away game at UVA last year. We went to the ACC tournament in Greensboro. We went to see them play in the Sweet 16 game against South Carolina. I mean, we are all in, man. We are dialed yes, in to basketball. We love it. So we literally joke that we are probably the biggest, literally and figuratively, uh, <laughs> Carolina women's basketball fans. And we just love it, again, because they're great human beings. They represent the university in a first-class way. Uh, Coach Banghart, you know, if you want to talk about, you know, what a servant leader is, uh, that's that's her and the definition um, of what that is. And so uh, she's really easy to, to get behind and support. And uh, and so when, when you're looking for a program to get behind, that that's it's, it's a no-brainer, one to really, really uh, support. And so I'm proud of Coach. I'm proud of those uh, young ladies, what they represent. And so 
in, in doing that. And hopefully maybe you'll be able to post a picture later yeah. uh, on the podcast is um, for the second year in a row, um, my parents have hosted a preseason dinner at our house. And so uh, so last night we had the we had the entire team over. Um, you know, my parents are, you know, grilling out, they're baking all sorts of food and desserts and stuff like that. And so, you know, funny enough, a thunderstorm rolls in and <laughs> some of the, some of the young ladies still want to do s'mores, right? So my parents have the s'more kit they're doing and my dad goes out and lights a fire. It's, it's raining, it's raining. And, uh, there's a great picture I sent you of Tioni Key, who's going to be a great player for us, uh, coming off an ACL tear, uh, but you know she's got a she's got a great smile and she's out there with my dad and they're making s'mores, you know during the summertime it's like 94 degrees out but a rainstorm is happening, and uh, again it just kind of shows that relationship that Carolina folks have and uh, just how special how special you know these young people on campus are and uh, you know how how they're more than just athletes they're they're yes. you know great young people and I think sometimes we need to remember that that. Um, it's not just a student athlete. It's not just someone who's competing and that's it. You know, they, they are going through the same kind of things that we all are. And um, so it's been awesome to get to know them and be a part of their life. Gosh, that's so good. Yes. Uh, you have, our, if you're watching, you have already seen the picture because I will have posted it while Brian is talking <laughs> about them both. Um, really neat pictures. And Brian, I'm so grateful for that, that reminder of the humanity that is in all of us. And that is why we have this show. That is why we have these conversations. It's not just about giving money or cheering at sporting events. It is how do we as humans connect to one another, spur each other one, and encourage each other. And so I'm just so grateful to yeah. you for reminding us all of that. It's obviously been an awesome, awesome time being with you, Isaac. Well, friends, that is it for today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. My sincere thanks to Brian for joining us. What a great conversation. Hopefully you got to learn a whole bunch about a whole bunch of things surrounding Carolina athletics. Coming up this week, tomorrow's show is our stats review that we continue. We're looking at rebounding from last year and what it'll mean for this year. On Wednesday, Coach Pat Kilby and I look at the man Caleb Love. Really appreciate you making Locked on Tar Heels your first listen or watch today and every day. Please go subscribe if you haven't already to the show. It's quick and easy. And don't forget to smash that like button. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Heels or me at Isaac Shade. Get more on the ACC right now by making Locked on ACC your second listen today. Host Candace Cooper and the local experts of Locked on take you around the conference in 30 minutes, five days a week really appreciate so much that you decided to spend part of your Monday hanging out with me and with Brian talking about Carolina athletics. We want to remind you, if you didn't know it already, that it's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. Until tomorrow, peace! <laughs>